Hi everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode from the Coolering Archives. Today, I'm excited to bring you a conversation with Augie Ray. Augie is the Senior Research Analyst and Executive Advisor of Customer Experience at Gartner Inc. Augie talks to us about CX or customer experience and why it's of such massive importance for manufacturing marketers. You'll learn about how understanding the overall experience of the people that buy from you can help to innovate and shape a program that improves the customer satisfaction, increases your referrals, and ultimately results in a higher lifetime value of your customers. I hope you enjoy the episode. There's a lot of great learning to unlock. listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. And Carmen, we've got a really interesting guest, someone uh, you've been following on Twitter for quite some time, from what I understand. Yeah, um, which it's always kind of interesting to be able to, uh, you know, Put a, a voice to the face, as it were, or to the words that you've been following. Yeah, so, for uh, sure. Now, I, I guess the bigger question is, is he following you back? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not one to check those things. Like, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you within a thousand uh, how many followers I, I have. Um, but my guess is not. Um, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe maybe after this. Maybe maybe we can get there. Yeah, before before we go live and publish this podcast, we need to try to convince him to follow that. <laughs> that won't look so bad. Well, joining us today is Augie Ray, Senior Research Analyst and Executive Advisor of Customer Experience at Gartner. Welcome, Augie. Hello, and I have to admit I don't know if I'm following you, but uh, if, if, if not, we can correct that egregious mistake immediately. Well, look, in, in your defense, you probably have very little interest in hearing me rant on about local politics <laughs> here in a remote part of Canada, which is uh, in some ways the heart and soul of my Twitter profile. Um, so, you know, I, I should probably be more business focused and uh, <laughs> engage with you. It warms my heart to hear you say that because anyone who chooses to follow me will get healthy doses of marketing and customer experience, uh, wisdom and articles, but also healthy doses of politics because I feel like I've been pulled into it given the state of politics in the U.S., which will be the last we mention about that on this podcast. But I do think that may have been what drew me to you originally <laughs> and not the... I like you already. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, with all that said, uh, let's just uh, let's let's leave the politics behind for the next twenty minutes or so and dive straight into uh, customer experience. Um, it's been your work and obsession at Gartner for the last while. Uh, talk to us a bit about your work. Introduce uh, our listeners to it, if you will. And uh, I would be curious about. Um, uh, it, it's bent on on manufacturers and to what extent uh, you see. In your work in customer experience and manufacturers maybe uh, carving a, a different path or going a different way? Sure. So I came to customer experience or CX from the marketing and social media world. Um, and, you know, over decades where I worked at agencies and I worked on the brand side, uh, I ran social media for two Fortune 100 organizations. Um, and one of the things that occurred to me increasingly was 
that uh, at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily what Brand said that had the greatest impact on people's economic decisions. It was really what brands did. Now, obviously, what they say is part of what they do. So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, but, you know, in a world that we all sort of recognize the, the challenges of understanding what our clients want and need and being able to provide the right message in the right channel at the right time uh, with the rise of social media and the growing power that people have to influence decisions with each other, um, with the rise of things like voice technologies, which takes a screen away and arguably makes uh, advertising a little more difficult. It's not like we want to walk into a room and hear our Alexa start blasting advertising at us with the rise of ad blocking, that there seemed to be an opportunity to begin to talk to marketers about what they can do, not just to focus on those outbound sorts of communications, but to really think about what builds brands and how powerful experiences are and the role of marketing in understanding not just the marketing funnel, but what happens afterwards to really drive customer satisfaction, loyalty, and advocacy. So that brought me to this focus and, and passion, as you say, in, in customer experience. Um, and so what I try to do is help our clients at Gartner to understand why CX is important for marketing, uh, why uh, focusing on customer experiences is important and the way it actually delivers to business results. So you, you envision a future world where we're putting more emphasis, more focus, more attention on customer experience. What does that change look like for uh, the CMO of a manufacturer in Chicago next week. So, yeah, we, we have some interesting data that we have gathered in our research of marketing leaders. And one of the things that I find alarming is that uh, in brands that don't take customer experiences seriously, where they don't necessarily see CX as being a primary or only way of competing in the future, uh, our data demonstrates that the CMO will typically be responsible for CX in the organization. But interestingly, in organizations that begin to take CX more seriously, where they do see CX as being a primary, even maybe a sole way of competing in the future, uh, oftentimes what happens is marketing loses responsibility for the CX program. And we think that that's uh, a mistake. Uh, it's a mistake for the, the CMO not to take it more seriously, and we see a lot of organizations not getting CX right, and we think it's maybe a mistake for the brand because, you know, at the end of the day, I go back to uh, the old definition of marketing, the, uh, the four P's of marketing, which was all the things that a brand needs to do, uh, and uh, that promotion is only one of those P's. And so we think a more expansive view of CX. And, and you know, what does that entail? It means defining CX right. It means changing your marketing metrics to not just focus on the marketing funnel, things like awareness and inbound traffic, conversion and sales, but also what happens after acquisition? Are we satisfying customers? Are we retaining them? Are they spending more? Are we lifting their lifetime value? Are they participating in advocacy behaviors? Are they referring more business? Um, and so you begin to expand the view of what marketing needs to measure and how it needs to task itself. 
Um, and so that's, you know, broadly speaking, the, the way we will talk to our clients about this and, and what it means to marketing. Practically, what it means, we start with, with metrics. A lot of marketing uh, organizations don't think that they are responsible for or need to be held accountable for things like customer satisfaction. Um, sometimes even retention isn't necessarily the responsibility of the marketing program. Advocacy may be a goal, but often isn't a hard measurement. And so simply starting by making sure that you bring some balance. The, the way we like to think about it and talk to our clients is not just the concurrent or lagging measures of financial success, things like how much traffic did we generate? What was our conversion rate? What was our sales last quarters? But what are the leading indicators of brand success in the future? How satisfied are customers? What are the retention measures? What are the advocacy measures that you can put in place? Now, manufacturers often have difficulty with this. It's not like they own the entire journey. Um, and so there can be some challenges and we try to help at Gartner, our, our clients to overcome some of those challenges to look for new collaborative opportunities to work with their sales channels or to think about uh, the role of surveys and direct customer feedback and understanding not just what's driving satisfaction and dissatisfaction, but also how it impacts intended stated behaviors for the future. Things like likelihood to repurchase, likelihood to recommend, those sorts of things. Um, so it starts at the beginning with just looking at your goals and your measures. If you don't change your goals, you don't change behaviors. Um, and it's a good place to start if what you want to do is begin to expand out of the marketing funnel and think in a broad way about the end-to-end -end journey and, and what really drives retention and growth for an organization. How, how would you respond to a marketer staring down the barrel of um, uh, uh, launching a new uh, digital strategy next month and they know that their business has a typical sales cycle of about two years. So they're going to be a while before they can truly know if what they're doing is uh, generating that new customers, let alone having an impact on the message you just mentioned. Well, you know, there's a challenge there because some of the early signals that you might focus on don't always necessarily lead to the later success that you want. Um, one of the challenges, uh, this is a challenge for all marketers, not just manufacturers, but if you focus only on what drives clicks, uh, and you often f you lose what you know is really important in the longer term. A uh, very simple example, I actually worked with a group of business products manufacturers at one point. Uh, they had a organization, a, an industry organization, and they had a digital um, strategy to have a website that would appeal to consumers to sort of generate some interest in business products, uh, generate some awareness and drive some traffic to their individual sites. And one of their strategies that they had launched uh, before coming to the agency that I worked with was to buy the keyword free. Every month they would have a drawing, they would give away some business products, all the manufacturers who were part of this organization would donate the business products, and they were developing a great deal of traffic. A uh, great deal of clicks, great search awareness, uh, lots of participation in the uh, in in the giveaway. And one of the things, first things that our organization did, our agency when we started working with them, was to begin to evaluate 
were those people becoming customers? Pretty simple idea here. We've uh, we paid for them. We paid for the traffic. They participated. We have their data in order to uh, be part of the, the drawing. We knew email addresses. So we had some PII, some personally identifiable information. And we found literally almost zero relationship between the participation in the free giveaway and actual customer behavior. And so we recommended that they shift away from this rather expensive strategy of buying the keyword free, as you might imagine, pretty expensive. Um, the end of the story, I'll just tell you, is that they didn't want to do it. They had so convinced their leaders that they should focus on traffic. Look at the traffic our website is generating. Look at the volume of data we're getting um, that they weren't sure that they could convince their leaders to begin to focus on. And this is sort of the point of the story and this topic uh, to focus on what matters, uh, not just that first click, not just participation in a, in a, in a giveaway, but ultimately, are they converting those people into uh, into clients. And so I think the really important thing to do here is to understand that all of the first things that you see in any relationship that takes two years to develop are means to an end and not the end. And so what we need to do is use our data to understand what are the first things that people do early in that marketing funnel that will lead them to, in fact, begin to have that relationship and to convert. And oftentimes what we find is it's not some of the simple and easy things to measure, but some of the more complex things to measure. What we often begin to see is then you have to focus on a different way of driving traffic or a different way of measuring things. Um, one of the things we'll help our clients with, and I'll just give you a minute on this and then pause and see if this is helpful. But from the customer experience perspective, one of the things you want to begin to do is to understand if you're more satisfied customers are driving more business. Then if you can make that case, then you can begin to look at what are the factors that drive satisfaction and how do we invest in that. And even if you can't measure an immediate conversion, you know that you are doing the things that will lead to people having an affinity for your brand that will ultimately begin to build the results you want. And that's that difference between that short-term focus that we talked about earlier on the call and the, the leading indicators of success. And so using your data to understand what drives that relationship becomes really important so that you don't measure the wrong things in the short run. Now, you can't see our faces here because, <laughs> of course, we're in another country. But when you said that you had a customer that was buying the word free, <laughs> which is not free. <laughs> no, not. not even close. We, we both turned ashen white <laughs> and we're very concerned. My palms are still sweaty. Um, I, I think that that really, you know, hits on the, on the head of, of this, you know, um, certainly, you know, as social media has risen and the, the, the power in the vanity metrics of buying essentially friends or likes, you know, through a contest or, or whatever that, result in absolutely no real business return. Um, hopefully, you know, a lot of people are getting past that, but it certainly was a much bigger thing, you know, initially, but, um, but it's, it's easy, it's easier to measure. And that was the initial draw. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes just because it's easy to measure doesn't mean it should be measured. And, and in some ways that's, that extends to those uh, goals that you were referencing uh, that our marketers are carrying with and the KPIs that they're, that, that are guiding their work. Um, when you start talking about adding in marketers being responsible for customer satisfaction scores, et cetera, um, it goes away from the corporate desire to have the one throat to choke, as an example, because mm -hmm. now all of a sudden it's not um, marketing. Any, so, so now we have shared metrics and shared responsibilities for achieving them, and it's dif more difficult to diagnose. 
Well, CX is inherently a collaborative effort. Um, and that's one of the things that we have to really begin to understand. Um, and again, I, I don't mean to, to be a broken record, but I think it's important to remember that uh, colleges still teach, and they should, the four P's of marketing. It's product, place, price, and promotion. And yet, so many of the marketing clients that we work with are responsible only for promotion. They, they may not be responsible for distribution, the place. Uh, they may not uh, necessarily set the price. Uh, and they may have a product team that is responsible for developing the product. Um, and so in many cases, uh, I think of it, if, if I can get on my soapbox for just a, a, a minute here, I think of the fact that marketing in the mass media era narrowed their focus to one of their four Ps, promotion, because in the mass media era, there were few channels of communication. Everyone was watching the same thing at the same time. We all watched the same you know, three television networks. Uh, there were, you know, media conglomerates in in terms of magazines and and newspapers. Everyone read the the same newspaper at the same time in a city, uh, essentially. And so it was easy to control messaging. It was easy to, you know, advertising was the thing to do. Um, now we live in this really complex world. Everyone has their own device that knows what they want. They have their own social media tools that create their bubbles. Um, and suddenly everyone isn't seeing the same thing at the same time. It's not as easy to get the message out. And so promotion, which I, I think was so vital in the mass media era, now we live in the, the era, I think of it as the empowered consumer. Um, and suddenly I think we've got to rethink uh, and I think not do something new with marketing, but reclaim what marketing was. Product, product, Price, place, and promotion. Those are the things that drive awareness, that drive consideration, that drive satisfaction and loyalty and advocacy. And uh, trying to separate those things is difficult. And I think marketing is a great opportunity to, to think about this and bringing it all together. And that doesn't mean necessarily that they become the product team. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be responsible for distribution. But a customer experience viewpoint means that you need to bring people together across the organization so that they understand that what happens in their touch points have an impact in the touch points that other people are responsible for and beginning to do a much better job of collaborating to put the focus back on the customer rather than on our organizational silos and the, the separate uh, and often competing metrics and goals that different parts of the uh, organization may have. I must say, I think that's going to be a big challenge for a number of manufacturers who maybe more so than many uh, potentially more B2C-facing uh, organizations uh, can find themselves um, really thinking of the world through their own lens um, and, and speaking their own language. Um, well, you know, nobody ever said that uh, getting a strong brand and developing loyal customers was going to be easy. In fact, I think by definition, it shouldn't be. Um, and so, again, I mean, if you really think about some of the interesting things that are happening out in the world, whether it be in manufacturing and outside, whether it be the role of digital <clears throat> or you look at subscription models or you look at the role of product development, I think of the Tide Pod, for instance, and the way it changed an entire product category um, and how Tide managed to 
launched something in the Tide Pod that allowed them to capture a market share in the unit dose market that was something like two or three times greater than their market share in the liquid detergent market. Um, and so is that an example of marketing? Is it an example of product development? Is it an example of customer experience? I think it's all three things. You know, the Gillette Shave Club, same thing. And so there is a reason, I think, to think more broadly, to bring everyone together, uh, to collaborate, and not to think of product development as its own uh, island, to think of distribution as its own island, to think of marketing. And marketing, in a narrow sense, arguably, perhaps, is just outbound communications in its own island. There's really a valid reason to think about how everyone works together to create experiences um, that will ultimately drive brand strength. You're listening to The Cooler Ring, conversations on manufacturing marketing. Don't forget to subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's kulapartners.com slash the cooler ring. The folks uh, here at Cooler have probably heard me ramble on about this uh, ad nauseum about the, my, in some ways, my frustration with manufacturers that I feel that they are uh, uh, very good at um, extracting uh, maximum value for their organizations out of the product development processes. And they're also very good at extracting value out of um, uh, out of production and gaining production efficiencies. It's kind of in their DNA to do so. But it's somehow uh, seemingly not in their DNA to have that same focus, if you will, on how the products that they make are marketed right. and sold, which I, I think is in some way the kind of the, the next frontier of value for, for, for manufacturers. Does that resonate at all? Or do you think that I'm just, uh, are you joining the rest of the folks here at Kula and thinking I'm on crack? <laughs> it resonates with me, but I'm, you might be preaching to the choir a little bit. Uh, the, the thing that I think is important at the end of the day is that so much of what drives marketing and everyone else, everything else in the organization becomes very internal focused. So we talk about the outside in view, the focus on the customer um, and the brands that have really succeeded. I mean, the brands that everyone wants to be, the Amazons and the Apples and the Costcos and the Starbucks, you know, started by having this very strong outside in viewpoint of what customers wanted and needed. What were the unmet expectations? What were the gaps? What's driving satisfaction and dissatisfaction. If all we focus on is having our email team focus on maximizing email open rates and click rates while, you know, the product team focuses on, uh, you know, only initial sales, let's say, uh, or trial and not necessarily uh, longer term measures of loyalty. And if all marketing is focused on um, is acquisitions and clicks and conversions and inbound traffic, nobody's thinking about the customer. And that's really ultimately what this collaboration is about, is to make sure you have the user research, make sure you've got the data, the customer feedback, voice of customer uh, programs, for instance, to provide a flow of information so that you can always be evaluating what's driving satisfaction and dissatisfaction, loyalty and advocacy, and ultimately to make sure you've got that outside in viewpoint. And in fact, you know, one of the topics I know you wanted to discuss today is digital transformation. It's a very uh, great example of this. What happens is organizations go chasing after the next hot thing. They read that something is big and they chase it and they chase the technology first. And then they launch something in the technology and then they ask themselves, 
Now, what is the problem this was intended to solve? How are we going to measure it? What you need to do is the opposite. You need to understand what customers want and need, what unmet expectations are, and then evaluate the technologies that will help you to do that. If you do it in that order, you focus on the customer, Thus, you are much more inclined to launch something that gets adopted. And you also understand the measures right from the start. Um, and so we look back on the history of sort of digital marketing. How many organizations have a second life island that they needed to launch because it was a hot topic, but they never knew what to do with. And as a result, they probably still own those second life islands. Um, how many brands launched social media accounts? Uh, many that have been forgotten and are probably stagnant. You can find thousands of those sort of zombie accounts on Twitter and in Facebook. And it was because everyone was doing social media. They didn't think about what do customers want out of social media. And in fact, one of the things customers want is responsiveness. They want answers. They want customer service. And the data would demonstrate the brands still do a very bad job of this. They tend to think of social media as another broadcast channel, not as a channel to listen to and understand and respond to customers. Now, it can be expensive. There are challenges in scaling that, uh, but it's an example of that inside out versus outside in. And ultimately today, one of the things that we see is that everyone talks about voice being the future. Um, and one of the very typical situations that I work with my clients today is that they've launched an Alexa skill that gets zero or almost zero use. And it's because they got excited about that technology rather than thinking about what customers want and need and whether it provides it. A really good example is all the banks raced into providing Alexa skills so that you could interact with your bank using voice. Now, the question I ask is how many of us stand in the middle of our house and want to scream out our account balances or have them screamed out so that our family hears them uh, or our neighbors hear them? How many of us want in the middle of watching a television show to have our uh, Alexa announce that we're overdrawn, right? It, it's not, using voice is not the way that we interact with our banks. We walk up to a teller and everyone stands behind a line so we can do it privately. We walk up to a ATM and there are blinders on the ATM to make sure that people can't see what, uh, you know, what our account balances are. And so this idea of using voice to interact with your bank, now clearly behaviors may change at some point in the future. Uh, but for now, it's a solution in search of a problem. And that's the problem with innovation. And that's the problem with digital transformation is it needs to start with what the customer wants and needs. I can't help but just imagine, um, I, I, all I can hear are people talking about their video strategies right now, you know, like somehow creating video is going to save <laughs> marketing. Um, uh, and, but it's the same thing. It's a, I thought it, it was chat bots. No chat bots. Those are going to be big. <laughs> Wait, VR. Don't forget VR. <laughs> oh yeah. And AI and, uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, augmented reality, I, I think for sure. that was going to totally change everything, Yeah, at least for a while. <laughs> um, you know what? I think augmented reality may be the closest. But again, if you start with what people want and need, you know the right technology to launch. And so one of the things manufacturers have seen some success with is to launch augmented reality programs that help to train people how to do things, you know, maintenance, for instance, of complex, uh, uh, of, of complex products. Um, augmented reality, I think, shows some, some early promise, but only because 
you put what the customer wants first. And it happens to solve a real a real challenge, right? Onboarding is a challenge for many manufacturers, particularly in the B2B space. Um, augmented reality gives them a way of maybe reducing costs, scaling training, improving onboarding, and providing what customers really want. Um, you know, voice, I'm not as convinced is going to work in the workplace. Think about your average open office. Do you really want hundreds of employees interacting with their uh their computers by speaking as it is open offices are loud enough. Um, so anyways, it's just, it's an interesting idea of putting the customer first, understanding needs, and then going to make the decisions on the right innovative technology that fits that, not doing vice versa. Yeah. And I'd really like to get your advice um, uh, out about um, some nuance in your advice, I guess, around being customer led or customer driven. Um, and that it, it's not just simply about doing what customers say they want. Absolutely right. I think everyone knows the, and maybe are, is tired of hearing it, the whole Henry Ford example where uh, probably not a true story, but uh, everyone sort of knows that the idea that if Henry Ford had asked customers what they wanted, they would have said a stronger horse uh, that poops less. I think they may be tired of hearing that, but they're not tired of hearing an answer to this problem. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so th I think that the, the, the answer is this. One of the things with customer experience programs that can be a real challenge is that organizations get caught in focusing only on identifying and fixing problems. And there are always problems. You will never solve every problem. It is an endless chase. Uh, I compare it to playing a game of whack-a-mole. As soon as you identify and fix one problem, another pops up, another pops up. Um, that list never ends. But ultimately, if that's all your CX program does is, is identify reactively problems and fixes them. Now, that's important. You, you need to solve and, and address problems. But good CX should do something else. And this is getting to what you're really probing here, which is it needs to be innovative. By putting the customer focus first, as we talked about, um, you begin to identify uh, what you need to do to innovate. And the way to do that isn't to listen to what customers say they want. You don't want to necessarily ignore that. It's worth considering. But it's really focusing on unmet needs. And so sometimes I'll take it back to this Henry Ford example and say that um, the unmet needs that people would have identified they might have said, I want a stronger horse that eats less hay and poops less, but the unmet needs were what they're really saying they want is more efficiency. They need to do more in their fields with less. They are compressed for time. They need a less expensive way to plant seeds and to harvest. Those were the unmet needs, and the tractor was in fact the solution to that. And so if you listen for unmet needs, and then as a manufacturer, you bring your expertise to bear. You don't just be led by the nose by what you think your customers want. You are the expert in your field. And if you identify unmet needs and you bring your expertise in your manufacturing uh, discipline to understand how to satisfy those unmet needs, you in fact will succeed. Um, Amazon, a great example of this. Um, the, you know, the unmet needs, and it wasn't a high demand, but it was a future-looking demand, was that people wanted a better way to buy things, right? This is what e-commerce really provided. And if you really focus on the very early days of Amazon, kind of hard to remember, they were a bookseller. 
And the challenge that people had is they went to their local store and they didn't have the books that people wanted. Stores could only carry a limited uh, set of, of product. They had a limited physical inventory. And one of the things that Amazon succeeded with was being able to provide an unlimited inventory and access to any book, if, whether or not you'd be able to find it at the on the shelves of your local Dalton. And so it's an example of identifying a need, not listening to what people wanted. People would have told you they wanted to be able to get more product at their physical store, but the unmet need was they wanted access to things they couldn't find in the store, and e-commerce was the perfect solution for that. I think it's really interesting. I mean, it's especially easy to see this kind of forward-looking innovation in, in the in the SaaS space. You know, you, you can think of uh, you know, the team at Basecamp that regularly they refuse to just make the changes their customers ask for unless they think it's going to make the product better in the vision that they have for it and have a rabid following as a result of that. And I think the other thing too is that it sometimes means that people aren't necessarily seeing what the Amazons are seeing when they're seeing it. I mean, Amazon was, you know, they are largely, they're not a, an e-commerce retail bookseller or widget seller at all. They are a, you know, a computer company that understands how to put those things together to make more efficient retailing possible and logistics and all of those things. Uber is not a transportation company. They are a software company. Well, and ultimately, another thing that we have to think about here is just, and it brings us back to one of the first topics you raised, ROI. Um, Chasing short-term ROI is important. We need to produce quarterly results, you know, but that has to be balanced with something else. And so, One of the things I note, uh, a very typical interaction I might have with clients nowadays is they want to learn to be like Amazon. They'll say that, you know, what did Amazon do to succeed? We want to be like Amazon. Well, one of the things Amazon did to succeed was that it lost $3 billion before it made its first dollar of profit. Do you want to do that? Everyone ready to sign up? Now, I'm not saying every brand needs to do that. You don't need to do that. But what it does do is it points to that some of the brands that we today hold up, you mentioned Uber. Uber's never made a dollar of profit. They may never make a dollar of profit. Um, Right now, every ride that you take on Uber is funded in a significant fashion by the venture capitalists that that have invested in Uber because it continues to lose money. Um, now, I think Uber is a great example of a, of a product that it came into a very stagnant market um, with something wildly different, as you point out, a very technology-based solution, but it also made use of mobile, it made use of people's cars, it made use of the gig economy. Um, it offered rides to people, not just when they were standing on the busiest corners of their city or at the airport, but it allowed them to call transportation anywhere. It gave them a better experience because we rated people and, and you know, typically the experiences you have on an Uber or Lyft tend to be considerably better than the typical experience you get in a taxi. And so it changed everything about this on-demand transportation world, but it's still losing money. And so one of the things I think we have to be willing to do is to understand when we want to invest in something and that it is worth investing in. Amazon lost money, Uber lost money, but even if it's not losing money, it might mean accepting a little more risk. And what do you do to mitigate risk? Well, you get more information, 
that brings us back to VOC data or user research data. Another way <clears throat> that you mitigate risk is to turn a big risk into a bunch of small risks that you test. That's a test and learn culture, the idea of piloting things, of agile development. And so there are things that we can do to embrace the idea of taking a little more risk, but managing it, not avoiding it, but managing it so that we can build a stronger brand in the future. And of course, if we do that, we have to at least have some faith that um, uh, that increase in customer satisfaction that we're going to drive um, is actually going to result in that increased uh, lifetime value. And you had mentioned in that uh, earlier that, that, that that's some of the work that you've done. So, so I guess uh, dive into that a little bit further. Yeah. So one of the things that can be a challenge now for manufacturers, I acknowledge this can be particularly a challenge, although there certainly are ways of overcoming it. We talked about doing a little more to partner with your sales channels to gather data at a customer level around satisfaction and around some of their purchase behavior, or just even skipping that. One of my manufacturing clients uses inserts in their products to gather more information from people about what's driving satisfaction or dissatisfaction. So there certainly are different solutions to that. But at the end of the day, what you want to be able to do is be able to correlate at a customer level their satisfaction, and you can measure that various ways, things like NPS, customer satisfaction questions, customer effort scores, but correlate that with their actual transactional behaviors. And so do you know that more satisfied customers are buying more? Do you know that they are retained longer? Do you know that they refer more business? And I have a client in the B2B space. It's a SaaS company. Um, and they serve not the really large organizations, but they're particularly for SMBs. They've got something like 80,000 clients. And they did this analysis, right? They went back and they looked at satisfaction and its relationship to churn. They looked at satisfaction and its relationship to referral rates, and they looked at satisfaction and its relationship to the annual spend. And what they found was that customers that were promoters versus detractors, the NPS, were nine points uh, less likely to churn on an annual basis. They found that they tended to refer a significant level of additional business. And they also found that they spent something like three times more uh, money than did detractors. And so added that all together, they were able to come up with understanding that they were delivering something around $5,000 of additional value for every promoter that they had versus every detractor. That encouraged them to understand that if they worked on improving the number of detractors or decreasing the amount of detractors they had, they would expect to have an impact on the business through reduced churn, higher referral rate, and annual upspend. Fascinating. And, and and when you look at this data and aggregate across multiple companies and that that, that, that you've worked with and surveyed, et cetera, do you, I guess, I'm assuming that you found that this data holds somewhat consistent, uh, number one. I'm curious, however, what are the changes that we're seeing, if any, over time? There's a, some, you know, some people might may suggest that uh, you know, as media gets more fragmented and kids these days, et cetera, and people will complain about millennials or what have you and say that they don't have the loyalty that they used to or whatnot. Um, have, have you seen any, uh, any changes in the propensity for satisfaction to drive these other measures uh, as time uh, has gone on? We've not seen a giant change. I think that the discussion of millennials not being loyal uh, may miss a couple of things. Um, that 
that, uh, you know, first of all, one of the things to realize about millennials, I, I generally will push back on any generational stereotypes. They, they typically are wrong. You know, our, our generation, you know, was thought of as being somewhat lazy compared to the hardworking uh, older boomers that preceded us, for instance. Um, you know, slackers followed us and now they're hardworking people. Millennials, you know, there's just some really interesting research that indicated that for all the complaining we do about how millennials are destroying different industries, it has nothing to do with their behaviors. It has everything to do with they don't have money, right? <laughs> they just aren't as economically sound as many other <laughs> past generations are. We're at theirs. And that's a real concern. So the thing is that um, the things that drive uh, behaviors that drive loyalty can change. And there are some broad generational things to learn, but I try to avoid those because ultimately what you want to begin to do, one of the key factors in understanding what drives loyalty and beginning to develop strategies around it is to understand personas. And personas are different than segments. Segments are a way of gathering people together in a way that matter more to your business. And so you might have segments that are based on geographic area or product type, and that helps you to understand uh, penetration and you know, perhaps to develop some broad strategies. Um, Personas change that 180 degrees. It's not what the customer means to your brand. It's what your brand can mean to the customer. And so as you begin to understand personas, focusing on millennials, you might understand that all millennials aren't alike, which of course they aren't, just like all boomers or all Gen X aren't alike. And so you begin to understand that there are different things that drive awareness, that drive interest, that drive consideration, ultimately that drive loyalty and advocacy. Um, and if you can group people together by that, you begin to find the hooks that allow you to develop the right strategies. This is, by the way, a very powerful way of approaching content strategy, not to think that everyone wants uh, the same thing, but to begin to understand, if you can, what identifies and separates one group of customers from another in terms of their wants, needs, motivations, and expectations so that you can do a better of providing for those. Um, in working with some of our B2B clients, this is a big deal because B2B clients in particular will make the mistake of thinking uh, that they can map a journey for the entire prospect firm at the firm level, as if everyone goes through the same process at the same time, as if everyone in the organization wants the same thing. And of course, we know that's wildly wrong. There are different roles that people have. There are people who are the economic decision makers. There are people, the technical buyers, who have to evaluate whether the solutions meet the minimum requirements. There are user buyers that have to actually implement and use and interact with the solution. Each of them have different wants and needs. And so if we can begin to understand those personas, not just generalize, uh, we develop a much stronger strategy. Okay, I think we could easily double the length of this uh, podcast and still have uh, lots to talk about. Um, I, I'm wanting to dive in head first right now into uh, the challenges that, um, that, that brands have in maintaining a consistent uh, uh, voice uh, in that uh, content challenge that you just mentioned in the addressing of multiple personas, et cetera. But I want to save that for our next uh, podcast where we're fortunate enough to have you on whenever that is. And in the interim, uh, I'll thank you for joining us on the Cooler Ring today. And thank you in advance for following me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. As you can tell, I love talking about this. I think it's important. Uh, I think it, it's important to pull us out of all of those short-term things that we do as marketers and to think about how we can have a more powerful influence over the experiences customers have and ultimately those leading indicators of brand health. And so it's an exciting topic. I could go on for hours, but 
no one would listen. So uh, maybe we'll get a chance to chat again in the future. Thank you so much. We absolutely look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>